All right, let's look in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse 30. We're in a series I'm calling Holding On for Dear Life and looking at some of the Proverbs that deal with the subject of life and talk to us about life, and the Proverbs have a lot to say about that. And tonight we're going to be looking at this famous passage, Proverbs 11 and 30. Uh, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. He that winneth souls is wise. Uh, the fruit of the righteous, the text says, is a tree of life. Right living, then, bears fruit in the lives of other people. It gives us the opportunity of being a blessing to others. Our living right, the, the fruit of righteousness, righteousness, living right, right living, uh, bears fruit, and it's fruit that other people can enjoy and experience. Uh, read about a fellowship meeting uh, that went on after a service, and uh, the subject in the service had been the subject of testimony, and the preacher had preached on testimony. And uh, as they were talking about it in this fellowship meeting after service, a lawyer made a very astute comment. He said to a lawyer, there is a vast difference between testimony and evidence. Uh, a testimony, you see, may be evidence or it may not be. It depends on what? The character of the witness. That's why that just because somebody can stand in a court, put their hand on a Bible and swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the whole, nothing but the truth, if they still do that. If they can affirm, yes, I'm going to tell the truth, it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to tell the truth. And it is also why that uh, lawyers have that cross-examination down so well and so often what they're doing is trying to assail the character of the person giving the testimony because if they can somehow convince the jury and in a criminal procedure, remember, they only have to convince one that your character is not trustworthy, then your testimony is not evident. Something for us to think about because the proverb says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And that's exactly what he is talking about. He is talking about how our character, our righteous living then is observed by other people. And what that does then, it allows our testimony to become tangible. It bears fruit, tasteable. Uh, but uh, my, uh, my word uh, processor went kind of crazy with that word. It didn't like it much, but I think it's a perfectly good word. It becomes our uh, righteous living, our righteous act then, becomes tangible like fruit, tastable like fruit. It, has a, it bears fruit, a fruit of life. The Bible invites us to taste and see, after all, that the Lord is good. It is within that perimeter then that we're given the assurance, he that winneth souls is wise. Of all the ways that our character, our righteous living can have an effect on the lives of others around us, there is no greater than this than to see it bear fruit in the life of someone else after they have been around us, after they've gotten to know us, after they have seen the way that we live our lives, then we have the opportunity of sharing the gospel with them and seeing someone coming to know Jesus Christ. 
It's a good time to remind ourselves, especially those of you who are young families or just getting started in the family business, uh, that one of the greatest mission fields for souls is found within your own children, your own household. Your children, your grandchildren, yes, uh-huh. Your nieces and nephews to say, all oh, my kids are saved. Or what about your nieces and nephews? What about your brothers and sisters' kids? Um, sometimes it works the other way. Children come to know Christ. And then they have the opportunity maybe of winning their parents. Seeing mom and daddy come to know Christ. Though it is difficult, it can be done. If you've got a mom or a dad that is lost, there is nobody in all the world that has more influence over your parents than you do. Nobody has a better chance of winning them with the truth of the gospel than you do. And so in our own family, within our own family circle, there is a great, great opportunity for seeing people come to know Jesus Christ. And what a great, great opportunity that is. We speak sometimes of winning in our culture, and when somebody wins, there has to be somebody who loses. Uh, but in this, in this case, the idea of winning souls is much like winning someone over, as we say it, or winning someone's heart. Uh, here's that old scrubby-faced uh, uh, boy uh, that gets that girl on his mind, and he's out to win her heart. Oh, how he woos her. How, how's that for a good old-fashioned word? Oh. How he woos her. He's out to win her heart. And he can. He can. He does it. I saw a cute little picture uh, made Fox News, I noticed this morning, of somebody who took a, a picture of, from a balcony on a beach, and somebody, some guy had got down there and made a heart out of candles on the beach and cleared out all the stuff all around it. Wasn't that just a cute little picture? That's one of those pictures that when you see it, it makes you want to go, <coughs> <laughs> no, it makes you want to say, oh, 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 how sweet, how sweet. He is, he is out to woo that girl, and if she said yes, he could very rightfully say he has won her heart. And when the Bible talks about winning souls, I think it is in that concept, not that there is, and this is a competition, and we're going to win or see who many, how many we can win. Or if we're winning more than someone else, no. Uh, this is talking about a labor of love. He that winneth souls. In the sense of winning someone over, we have inspired a confidence in them. Then by the life that we have lived before them, we have the opportunity so that they listen to us. He that winneth souls is wise. We would think that something as simple and as direct as the passage of Scripture before us tonight, it would be impossible uh, for that to become controversial. But it's not been that many years ago when uh, this very passage of Scripture became a very controversial issue uh, in our circle of Baptists. Um, because amazing, as amazing as it may seem, there were those of us who believed that reaching people with the gospel of Christ is an important part of what we do. That winning souls, the Bible says, is a wise thing to do. That we want to see then our church reaching people, baptizing them, and discipling them. 
But I learned very quickly in the ministry, and we've seen this over the years, that uh, uh, not every spiritual leader in the world sees things that way, and not every church goes along with that. One of the most amazing things I saw in the ministry was to see, as I began early on, and see maybe a church really get on fire, God was blessing, people getting saved left and right, people joining the church, people coming to be baptized. Man, I thought everything was going great. You ask me, how's it going? Man, it's awesome. We got people getting saved. Got new people coming. Got some more people, so many people, I can't even keep up with them all. And some old sour-faced Baptist would look at me and say, well, you know, I don't know half the people in this church anymore. <laughs> you ever say that to me, you know what I'm going to say? Good. Good. Let's go get some more. And I'm going to start praying then that we'd get up a little bit, get, get, I wanted to say get up out of our seat a little more and walk across the aisle and introduce yourself to somebody that we don't know because every person, listen, that God brings into this church is somebody that he intends for us to fellowship, to get to know as best we can. You say, well, I can't know 400 people. I understand that. But we can all learn a few more. We can all learn a few more if we try. We put forth the effort, and it's our job to do that. Because, listen, God has brought them to us. They are a part of this body. <laughs> and we might be the nose, but somebody else is the hand. And uh, we need to get to know one another so that we can work together effectively. So I've had to, I've had to learn that not everybody likes it when churches grow. And, and uh, some folks seem to get a little upset uh, maybe when churches do well, and uh, I'm not among those that number. I believe wholeheartedly what this passage says, so eloquently, but so simply. He that winneth souls is wise. The tree, the fruit of the righteous, is the tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. I want to give you three reasons tonight why that. Uh, we could say this, and these are somewhat arbitrary, I admit that, but uh, <clears throat> uh, I think they're all valid. First, soul winning is wise because of the value of the commodity that we're working with. We're talking about souls here. And remember Jesus asked uh, in Mark chapter 8, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, I've pointed that passage out to you before. I've preached it to you before, but I, I would be remiss tonight if, if, I, wanted, if I didn't point out the, uh, the obvious dichotomy in that passage. What shall a man give? You see, we would think that Jesus would have asked, what shall a man get in exchange for a soul? But the fact is, whatever we exchange our soul for, we don't get. We lose. We lose. That's why Jesus said, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What indeed? Because how much of the whole world is he going to lose? All of it. All of it. But then he can lose his soul as well. But he is quite, he had, by bringing this up and comparing the soul then uh, to the wealth of the entire world, he causes us to consider the value of the soul as our greatest treasure. 
I want to establish for you tonight what makes the soul the greatest treasure of all. The first thing that makes it valuable is, and these are things that relate generally to anything that is of value. What makes anything valuable? Uh, first is the issue of who made it. Who made it? Paintings that are made by master artists routinely sell today for millions of dollars. And some of those pictures, quite frankly, uh, don't look much better than what my kids have drawn over the years. Uh, and yet, because it has the right name on it, suddenly that is worth millions of dollars. You see, that value, though, is not intrinsic because the greatest of paintings at its very best is just oil and canvas. That's all it is. But they are valuable because of who made them. The soul is valuable because of its creator. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10, For we are His, that's God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Uh, the word workmanship in Ephesians 2 and 10 uh, is the word poema. It's the word our word poem comes from. And it describes a work of art, a, a, a something made by a master craftsman or artist. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works. If there was a signature on every one of us tonight on the soul, it would say made by God. Made by God. Who made it? The second issue that gives value to something is its potential. Not just what it is but what it has the potential of being, uh, what it can be. Uh, you can look at a rundown old house, and you might think, well, that thing's not worth $100, but what can it be in the hands of a master craftsman who cleans it up and makes it something? piece of property that's all grown up and in disrepair. It doesn't look like much, but what can it be? What can it be? And all of us could probably think about land up and down Highway 321 in Cabot and think, you know, I could have bought that stuff for, yeah. It's not just what it is. It's what it can be when it's in the right location. In the soul, you see, God has placed amazing possibilities. I've often thought of Gideon, hailed by an angel of God as a mighty man of valor. And at the moment when the angel called him a mighty man of valor, he was hiding out behind the wine press, threshing out a little grain, uh, trying to keep the Midianites from getting it. The last thing that you and I would look at when we saw Gideon was a mighty man of valor. But God called him that because God knew what he was going to become. God called Abram, Abraham, father of many, when as yet he hadn't had any children that God recognized. God saw the potential. And I'm glad that what he sees for Abraham, what he saw in Gideon, he sees in all of us. God and God alone knows what we can be, the potential, the potential that there is in us. There's a matter of endurance, endurance. Uh, my dad was and is a firm believer in buying quality, things that will last uh, that's why he had craftsman tools. Uh, they last, he said. Uh, some of you might have some other brand that you are, are there, but uh, he's the kind of guy that is always going to pay a little bit extra to get something that he knows is going to last. Now, 
Uh, I grew up in kind of a throwaway mentality and a throwaway world. Uh, but uh, valuable things are made to last. And one of the things that makes things valuable is how long will it last? <laughs> Put that measure on the soul of humanity. How long does the soul last? Forever. Forever. Availability is another thing that gives things value. <clears throat> Things that are rare are generally more valuable than things that can be found in abundance. And when it comes to your soul, there is not another one like it on this planet. It is absolutely unique, one of a kind. The fifth, of course, is the issue of appraisal. We could put everything all together under this one heading because at the end of the day, the value of anything we all know is determined by how much will somebody pay for it. 1 Peter chapter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. What will someone pay? And in the case of the soul, Jesus Christ shed his ruby red royal blood for your sins and mine to purchase to redeem our soul. The great cost. So when the Bible tells us, he that winneth souls is wise. Why would it say that? Well, at least part of the reason is because the soul is our greatest treasure of all. And understanding then that it is our greatest treasure, we also have to face the reality of the fact that it can be lost. Jesus said, what shall a man profit if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? He puts before us in this sense a profit and loss statement. On the one hand, if we gain the whole world but we lose the soul, would it be a good deal? Would it be a profitable venture? Well, first of all, nobody gains the whole world. Many have tried, but nobody can. And when it comes to what a person would give then in exchange for the soul, it is amazing to see that people will give seemingly very little in exchange for the soul. I mean, it'd be one thing if, if they were gathering the treasures of the whole world. At least they'd have that for a while. So many people are giving their soul for far, far less. What will a man give in exchange for the soul? There was a story told about a man who was saved because a young person, a teenager, asked him a question. Sir, if you had something that you were mistreating and in danger of losing... But you really weren't concerned because it didn't mean much to you anyway. But somebody come along who valued it and valued it greatly. Would you give it up to him? And the man said without hesitation, well, sure I will. And he was told, well, what you're mistreating and in danger of losing, 
and are treating as if it has no value is your soul. And God wants it very, very badly. Would you give your soul to Christ? And he did. He did. The treasure you see can be lost. And that calls for us to make an investment. And that's good news. Jesus in that same passage where he was talking about the value of a soul, what will a man give in exchange for his soul, would say this in Mark 8, 34. When he had called the people unto him with his disciples, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake in the gospels, the same shall find it. And Jesus draws a contrast then between those who would try to keep their lives for themselves or that person who would give their life to Jesus Christ. They say that you can't take it with you. That's true. But you can send it on ahead. And I'm calling on you tonight to realize that winning souls is wise because we're calling on people to invest their soul, to put it in a place where it cannot be lost, where a thief can't steal it, where moth can't eat it, where rust can't corrupt it, where nothing can get to it because it is safe in the hands of our almighty God. They've invested it. Winning souls is wise because of its incredible value, because it can be lost then, even though it is our greatest treasure. And it can also be invested for safekeeping. If you're saved tonight, you can rightly say, my soul is safe. It is safe. Soul winning is wise then. Because of the value of the soul. Soul winning is wise then because it is our kingdom work. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, notice, to be testified in due time, to be testified in due time. Paul would go on then in verse 7 and say, whereunto I was ordained a preacher, an apostle, uh, that is, whereunto what? Whereunto uh, that testimony part, to, give tes- to be testified in due time. See, when it comes to our salvation, you know, just like I do, that Jesus Christ absolutely paid it all. That you and I can't save anybody. And if anybody is saved, they're going to be saved by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is the good news that Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day. According to the scriptures, you see, Jesus Christ has indeed paid it all, all to him. Oh, sin had left a crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. Yes, I've been to Jesus for the cleansing blood. I've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. If you're saved tonight, that's happened to you too. You've been saved by Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ paid it all. He is the one who is the mediator then between God and man. But he does allow us this simple task to be testified in due time. To be testified in due time. God may not have called you to be a preacher. 
And I understand that. But that doesn't mean that you can't bring people to where preaching is done. You can do that. If you'll bring them here, I'll promise that I'll preach the gospel to them. And I believe in the power of preaching and the power of the preaching of the gospel. God uses it. God works in it. He always has it. Please God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That doesn't mean that everybody has to be saved because a preacher is preaching. That doesn't mean that everybody is going to be saved because they have to hear somebody telling. That's, uh, that's not what he's saying. But what he does tell us is that there is power when God's people gather together and his word is preached in the power of the Spirit of God. It does make a difference. People hear that. They respond to it. But if we go back to this passage, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is, is wise. Every day it seems that our world grows increasingly hostile to the Christian faith and message, increasingly closed down to it. You may have seen, as I did just this week, where uh, the first Chick-fil-A was opened in Toronto, Canada. And uh, they faced protest, hateful, vile protests. One guy said in response to that, you know, I just want to eat my chicken in peace. I kind of identify that. <laughs> just leave me alone. Let me eat my chicken. <laughs> what a great idea. Uh, why? They hate it. Because they believe in Jesus Christ. They believe in the Bible. They close on Sunday. <laughs> uh, what a noble concept. Every day, you see, hostility increases toward the Christian faith and message. That happens. But what that means is that every day, the importance of your testimony before a watching world, your friends, your neighbors, in your own home, yes, in your family, the people that you work with, the people you go to school with, the people you're around on a daily basis. You have the opportunity then of developing that tree of righteousness that brings forth that fruit, fruit, that life-giving fruit of a testimony. We can't save people, but we can give testimony to who Jesus is and what he does. In due time. One of the hardest things for us to do is recognizing that due time. If you ever find yourself uh, uh, sitting at work and somebody comes up to you and says, You know, uh, I believe you're a Christian, aren't you? Uh, could you explain to me what this Bible is talking about? You know, about this and that. Uh, you don't have to ask yourself, Well, now, is this an opportunity? Is God opening a door for me? Yes, of course He is. Of course he is. Uh, I remember a businessman, a very successful businessman in Springfield, Missouri, that asked me a question. He said, you know, Rich, I, I don't understand. I've, I've, I've read the Bible some. He said, I don't consider myself to be a Christian, but I, I have read the Bible some. I've read the Ten Commandments. And he said, I'm just puzzled. Uh, you know, uh, the, the Bible teaches that if you disobeyed the Ten Commandments, they all had the death penalty. Isn't that right? I said, yes. And he said, well, you know, some of them I can understand are real tough. You know, the, thou shalt not commit murder. I can understand that. But he said, then there's this other one about just taking the Lord's name in vain. 
He said, I don't understand why. That I can understand why, yeah, if I kill somebody, that I should be face the death penalty. But, but the death penalty just for... Now, I'd been around this guy a little bit, and I know he had a problem with the potty mouth. I understood where his thinking was coming from. But he was asking me a question. Will I die and go to hell because I've used God's name in vain? Gave me a great opportunity then to show him what the law was designed to do. I said, the fact is that the law is, is it's just not possible for us to keep. That it does for what it does for all of us, and that is that it declares us guilty before God, able to share those paths. I wish this had a happy ending, and I'd have led that man to Christ in my office that day. I didn't. I didn't. You say, what happened? Well, the phone rang, not mine, but his. Isn't that always the way? Phone rang. Some on the line. Hey, man. Well, I got to go, preach. See you later. Every time I think about him, I hope he came to know Christ before he died. That was my one opportunity as far as I know. Never had that chance again. I hope maybe somebody else was able to take that seed that I planted and watered it and maybe someday it grew and he grew and he came to know Christ. I hope so. We can't save people, but we do have this part that God has given us the opportunity to do, testify in due time. Lastly, soul winning is wise then because it has eternal consequences. John chapter 10, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I give you that passage tonight uh, because it gives us both the positive and the negative side of things. I give unto them eternal life. That's the positive. Negative side, they shall never perish. I give unto them eternal life. They shall never perish. Eternal life. Never perish. It kind of has a ring to it when you think about it. This is the eternal consequence then for what we're doing when it comes to winning souls. This has eternal consequences. Wouldn't it be wonderful to find the cure to cancer? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean across the board, cure cancer. You know, I think maybe about, uh, I'd be wandering around out in the woods sometimes, just kind of deer hunting, and all of a sudden I noticed a plant over there I'd never seen before, and I wondered what that was, and I picked that thing up, and I took it to some botanist. He ran a couple of tests on it and said, man, you've discovered the cure. Man, wouldn't that be great? Old Rich Hamlin, just an old country boy out walking around the woods, found this plant. Well, they'd tell that story forever and ever and ever. This is a man who found the plant that cures cancer. That ain't going to happen. I know that. Let me tell you something better. You want to hear it? It's right in our text. The fruit of righteousness is a tree of life. And he that winneth souls is wise. You see, the ultimate killer for humanity is not cancer. It's sin. It not only kills in this body, but it kills for eternity. And there's a cure. It's the gospel. 
You didn't discover it. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, you might have learned about it, certainly did, but you didn't discover it. Jesus Christ made it. He put it where it's easy to find. Isn't that what Romans 10 says? Yeah. The word is nigh thee, even in your heart and in your tongue. <laughs> it, it, it's not up in heaven, so that's that. Well, I've got to climb the highest mountain. It's not down in the sea, so I've got to swim the deep. Oh, no. Read Romans 10. The word is nigh thee. Sneer. God put it close by, the gospel, so that if we believe and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. What a great opportunity then that we have to be a tree of life by winning souls. Let's stand together, please. Lord, tonight... Uh,